Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Today, we're continuing with episode four of season two of the Tom Petty Project podcast, and I am your host, Kevin Brown. So yeah, today we're talking about track four from You're Gonna Get It, the haunted love song, Magnolia. Before we dig into it, I wanted to mention something I learned in the last week, thanks to John Scott and the Tom Petty fan community. The original artwork for the You're Gonna Get It album featured line art stars as part of the black background, which are not there on the final uh, the final design. And the only copies that were released with this design were the promo copies, which you can still find, um, but John notes that Tom wasn't happy with the way those stars looked and had them removed from the final production copies of the album sleeve before it was released. I had no idea that cover existed, and it's fairly high on my list of collectibles now, if not only because there won't be a million copies of that one kicking around. I thought I'd share that little tidbit and say thank you to John for pointing it out, and also thank you to the wonderful Gwen Jones, whose Facebook group, Tom Petty Fans Forever, you should definitely check out if you're on Facebook. Uh, Gwen posted a couple of photos of her copy of the album featuring the stars so that we could all see you know, what they look like. So thanks again. Uh, thanks, Gwen. But anyway, I, dig- I digress. As always, there's a link to today's song in the episode notes, so go listen to it and then come back to hear my thoughts on Magnolia. So curiously, Magnolia was never meant to be a heartbreaker song at all. After Roger McGuinn had recorded American Girl, he was interested in having Tom write him a song specifically. The song was written in the apartment of the Heartbreakers manager, Tony Dimitriades, uh, and in conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, Tony said, you need to write a song for Roger McGuinn. I'll be back in a few hours. And I just made myself write a song. I wrote it with Roger in mind. Amazingly, McGuinn passed on Magnolia, and Tom decided to put it onto the album. Tom goes on to explain that, When someone asks you for a song, they don't want one that sounds like them. They can make ones that sound like them. Considering the incredible array of talent that Tom went on to write or co-write for later in his career, this early lesson in writing for other people obviously stood him in good stead. It also meant that Magnolia became a heartbreaker song included on this second album. Magnolia has a fairly odd intro. It's similar to the half-measure intros that cropped up on the debut album fairly frequently. Stan comes in on the toms, and then the whole band joins in, and we head straight into the first verse after only eight bars. So not much window dressing on this one, just getting down to business early on. I find the mix on Stan's drums really flat on this one, and not in a deliberate way that you would add sort of an interesting sonic element to it. They just feel a little lifeless to me. If you listen to how resonant his toms are on the first three tracks of the album, and then compare them to this song, they just lack that punch that those first three songs have. And the cymbals are also mixed super low. It's a solid drum part, fairly safe and easy, um, laid over top of which is Ron's, again, fairly straightforward bass pattern. But this isn't a rhythm-heavy song and stands in stark contrast to those preceding tracks. Ron does play some nice slides in that short intro and again in the chorus, but other than that, he's really just keeping the bottom end as a background to the, to the vocal and the piano, which are the leads in this one, mainly the vocal. Tom, I assume it's Tom, is playing a really straight, simple chord progression in the left channel, leaving the right channel, as usual, for Mike's simple fills and Benmont's mirrored accompanying organ, playing fairly low bass notes. I do like that flanged slash phased tone of Mike's guitar in the right channel and the simple interplay between those two two guitar parts. That, That works nicely. Once we get into the chorus, Ben Mont is throwing in some very simple broken piano chords in that um, F-sharp minor, which match that p- chord progression of the song, but they fill in that sort of oral palette as Tom drops down into the lower register. 
Listening to that change from F minor down to E in that first part of the chorus really reminds me of Rebels. If you think, if you listen to Rebels and the way that song is structured and the way this one's structured, just in that little one, that one chord change, it's got that same type of feel tonally. And in terms of the intent of that change, the way it lets go of the sadness and matches the wistfulness of the, of the following line. So coming out to the second chorus, we hit a six bar bridge, which is again, really simple. Doesn't give us any hard left or right hand turns, just guides us fairly harmlessly into the outro, which again, just repeats the refrain from the first two lines of the chorus. The song is so simplistic and stripped down that I have to think the intent was for Tom's vocal delivery to really carry the song. And he does his typically excellent job of selling the story of this song. It's an unambiguous story of a young boy dreaming of the one who got away and wishing that she hadn't. The chorus is really evocative, and Magnolia is a great name to hang a love song on. In Warren Zane's biography, he notes that the land that Tom's grandparents bought at the turn of the century was back in the woods, and shady oaks and magnolias were a part of that landscape. And that sense of nostalgia that you get throughout the song maybe partly taps into that memory that Tom would have had of, of, that, of his grandparents' house. Um, in Paul Zolo's book, he says that the title for the song probably came first and mentions remembering the wonderful odour that the trees give off at night, which is a prominent feature of the southern landscape. Hey, it's that time of the show where you get to flex your brain muscles and dredge up minutiae details from Tom's career. That's right, it's time for some petty trivia. Uh, last week, my question was this. On March 18th, 2002, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Which famous hotel was the venue for the induction ceremony? The answer is, of course, the Waldorf Astoria, New York City's legendary Park Avenue Hotel. The Heartbreakers were inducted that year alongside some pretty heavyweight names with new wave pioneers Talking Heads, punk legends the Ramones, and then greats from other genres such as Chet Atkins, Isaac Hayes, Brenda Lee, and Gene Pitney, all inducted as performers. During his induction speech, Jacob Dylan said it best. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers made it clear that while rock and roll will have its trends and it will go through fads, it's really about the opposite. It's about being timeless. Your question for this week is this. Which 1996 album, which featured the entire Heartbreakers lineup at the time, contained songs written by Tom Petty, Beck, Chris Cornell, and Johnny Cash? Back to the song. I realise that Magnolia holds a special place in the heart of many Tom Petty fans, so I'm going to be very careful about how I frame my next comments. So while I think the lyrics in the chorus are, as I said, evocative and really nostalgic, in the same vein as The Wild One Forever from the debut album, the rest of the lyrics just, they fall a little short for me in terms of the type of images Tom could conjure. They're fairly broad and they don't have the same definite impact of some of his other, you know, quote-unquote story songs. Until we get into the chorus... They just don't really hit me in the same way that a lot of his lyrics do. So this was a slightly harder episode to write in terms of really digging into the song musically, as it's played so straight and it doesn't really branch out into anything other than the sort of the verse and chorus format that there just isn't a ton to talk about. I find that overall, Magnolia is a song that, while I enjoy it, it always leaves me wanting something more. And as a drummer, Stan's drum sound definitely doesn't help me out here, as I can't really get past disliking the way that they were recorded and mixed. I realise that that's a stupid technical thing to be put off by, uh, but we can't switch off those parts of our brains too easily. 
I also find that the song doesn't really build to anything musically. Lyrically, we get the resolution of the story, but musically, the song just sort of plods along without hitting any sonic heights. And given how utterly brilliant Tom and the band were at doing that exact thing, it's curious to me that this one was left with that arrangement. Magnolia was never intended to be a heartbreaker song, um, and you could definitely imagine it being a, a Roger McGuinn staple, as it does sound very much like the songs he was writing around that time. I think because of that, maybe the band tried to shoehorn it into their sound, as opposed to Roger McGuinn's, and my opinion is that they don't quite pull it off. So while I completely understand how it connects with some people, it just falls a little too flat for me, and it's the least compelling song on the album, certainly musically. However, because I do really like the chorus and Tom's effortlessly cool vocal performance, I'm, I'm going to give Magnolia a solid 5 out of 10. Again, compared to Tom's entire catalogue, I don't think it's ever more than a sentimental favourite for fans who have been listening to his music since the beginning and connect with it in some way. The fact that the song was never played live, at least as far as I can find from my research, would suggest that it also wasn't a favourite of the band's. So I'll use that as my excuse, and I will beg your forgiveness if you think that I've lowballed a favourite song of yours. Okay, friends, that's a wrap for this one. Um, on the same day this episode is being released, I'm going to be recording a special guest episode that I'm looking forward to immensely. I'll be chatting to the supremely talented Jake Thistle, who, as well as being a very vocal fan of Tom's work, also played with a couple of the Heartbreakers, Ron Blair and Steve Ferroni, at 2019's Tom Petty All-Star Concert. I'll be chatting to him about his connection to Tom's music and the other influences that have led to him taking the musical path that he has, as well as his debut album and his plans for the future. That episode will air on December 29th and will also be available in video format now that I figured out why the video from my chat with Dallas Helliker didn't record as I expected it to. Also, on December 25th, um, I'm releasing a special bonus Christmas episode talking about Somewhere You Feel Free the fantastic behind-the-scenes documentary about the Wildflowers album that was released on Tom's birthday this year. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can find me on YouTube. So follow, like, subscribe as applicable. And again, as always, please leave a review or rating if you haven't already. Those reviews and ratings really do help us sort of get the word out there and, and bump us up the charts a little bit. So um, that would be really appreciated if you could do that. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the last track off side one of the album, the fabulously titled Too Much Ain't Enough. Bye-bye. <laughs>